Hey everybody, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod, late night edition in the bubble uh, at the end of about as eventful of a 24 hours as I can remember covering the NBA. I am much older than Malika <laughs> Andrews, my ESPN colleague here, um, but this was a, a remarkable day and l- let's start here, Malika. You were at the Bucks Magic game yeah. earlier today, earlier yesterday, and tip off was coming. The Bucks weren't coming out of the locker room. I got a call about something and, and called you and said, "Hey, I think something's happening over there." And I think at that moment, you were headed back to the locker room. What what happened at that point? I guess after the first horn sounded and the Bucks. Magic were on the court. Bucks hadn't come out yet. Yeah, so I walked back to the locker room just before that first horn sounded, and I was standing kitty corner to where the locker room mouth is, where the door is, and players weren't coming out. You saw Bucks officials standing outside of the door. You saw league PR staff walking back and forth, sort of pacing. All of a sudden, you see more and more high-ranking officials coming over, and then... I heard the horn and it was like, oh my gosh, they're really not going to come out here. And when you called me, the magic, like you said, they were, they had, the PA system had just said, and now welcome the visiting Orlando magic. They ran out, they were doing their layup lines. And it's not like the Milwaukee Bucks, they said over the system, well, now the Milwaukee Bucks and they didn't come out. It was just nothing. And then more and more people standing outside that locker room started congregating. And you could tell, I mean, something was going on in there. So we go from the Bucks boycotting the game. We by the end of the day, we're trying to figure out the right word. Boycott, protest, strike. Strike. Doesn't feel like a strike to me. A strike is against to me your owners. I don't think it was that, but I think it was a protest against police brutality, racial inequality, and specifically what happened with with Jacob Blake just a couple of days ago. So, yeah, protest. Yeah. Yeah. You think back to the last few days, and we'll get to where this ended up tonight, Malika, but when you think about the conversations the Celtics and Raptors were having Mm -hmm. and how emotional, publicly emotional, George Hill of the Bucks, Fred Van Vliet of the Raptors, even Paul George coming out in a, in a different context yeah. about what the isolation and being in the bubble and the mental health challenges of being here. You look back now over the last week and you feel it around here. We all feel it. You've been in here longer than any player. There's no player who's been in the bubble longer than you, right? That's true. That's yep. right. <laughs> and so there's a sense of a lot of things coming to a head and then... The shooting of Jacob Blake and how that landed with those all over this country, all over the world, but players in the bubble and coaches and and, and any right-minded individual. Yeah. And looking back, it felt like maybe we shouldn't be surprised where, where we were tonight, which was the player, all the players, or virtually all the players in this bubble, and coaches, and a very emotional meeting, and the season very much being in peril. 
Yeah, I mean, the season is, is hanging in the balance right now. I don't think that's a stretch at all. And I don't think it's surprising given the emotion that you're describing. It's just that it is such a big step. I mean, this is not something that we see. The The NBA has, in many ways, approved so many forms of activism in this bubble. I call it approved activism, right? They've approved these messages on the back of jerseys and Black Lives Matter on the court. And all of those things were sitting with players as being somewhat sanitary, right? And so I asked Jason Tatum this morning at, at Celtics practice because they had it. It seems like it was days ago, years ago, but they, they had practice this morning. And they were still talking about whether or not they were thinking about protesting game one uh, on Thursday. And I asked him, what's different now in the feeling of being here than it was when George Floyd was killed a couple of months ago. And I don't mean that to compare one tragedy to the other, but what he said was that when you're in this bubble, you can't go protest. You can't go hug your family or your loved ones or do any of those things that are comforting or make you feel or see the direct change you're affecting. And so even if there are things like diversifying different organizations in the NBA or donating $300 million, which is a ton of money, it all feels a little bit abstract and removed because they are so safe and comfortable and able to play basketball in this bubble. And he said, that's the difference right now is we feel like we're sitting on the outside watching and we're kind of helpless in that way. What played out in that meeting late tonight over in the, in the Coronado hotel with players, yeah. with coaches in their players association, the bucks got jumped a little bit in there yeah, in some ways by their peers. Many were supportive in ways, but I think less than the action or the decision to sit out the game, it was that I think the rest of the league felt blindsided by it and it put them in a position where they had to quickly, the Rockets and Thunder, the Lakers and Blazers had to make very quick decisions. And once they didn't play and they left the magic out on the court. Right. And even initially, and this is in our reporting the Bucks, they were willing to forfeit the game. They thought they would be up 3-2. Number one, the Magic did not want to accept. They don't want to be the ones to accept that yeah. loss in that way because then it looks like they weren't – they hadn't stood up the way the Bucks had. Yeah. It, it wasn't – they didn't want that on themselves. And the league very quickly said, hey, no one's playing today. We're postponing them. We're not putting – we're not giving them a win. We're not giving the Bucks a win. But in that meeting – I think what came out of that was, I think what Chris Paul has preached all along coming into the bubble, we've got, whatever we do, we've got to be unified. Mm -hmm. We've got to talk it through. And the Bucks did some explaining in there about how they got to that decision. In a lot of ways, they kind of got to it pretty quickly in that locker room right before the game. Yeah. And that was my understanding from what I've been told is that they came, many players on the Bucks came to the arena today when they drove there, you know, three-ish hours before tip-off with the intention of playing. Many of the players did. There was a handful of players that had these events still really heavily weighing on them. Obviously, it was on the minds of all of these players, but some were really, really feeling that emotional weight. And so they came to their teammates and said, hey, we are feeling this way. What do you think? And it was something that happened very quickly. I'm told that the coaching staff up until, you know, minutes before, they were some of the last within the organization to actually know what was going on. 
Mike Boone there were Hitler. still coaches getting ready to prepare yeah. for the game, and the players were in the other room and had made the decision. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Mike Budenholzer went through his his pregame press conference. The players, some of them, were warming up out there. The Bucks players, not just the Magic players, in terms of going through their pregame warmups, not the layup lines. That's when the Magic was left left out there. But my understanding was that this came together very quickly, and there was a lot of people who were playing catch up in that way. And so the Bucks and and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. My understanding is that they didn't go into this thinking we want to be the thread that pulls on the season. They went into this thinking we want to play basketball, but we also really want to affect change here. The Bucks are not one of the teams who are grappling with the question of whether they want to continue to play. The Bucks right. want to play. Now, I believe there are players on every single team who if you told them they could go home today, they would go home. Yeah. Just like coming down to the bubble, there were those who weren't in love with the idea. They did it for lots of different reasons. Sense of responsibility to their teammates, the financial implications, but a lot of people were more, and it's still true now, they're, they're more, they're agonizing over it more than some others. It's like anybody else. It's, it's so... But the Bucks want to play, and I think their thought was this would be a one-game protest. They would be up 3-2 in the series. I don't think they were going to give the Magic another game and force a game seven. I think they gave them a game. It would be 3-2, which didn't happen anyway. But what the result was was a domino effect now that put other teams in position to make the same decision. They did. They didn't play. The Thursday games in the league, there's three more games later today that, by all indications of ours, those will not be played. The players have an 11 a.m. meeting. The owners have an 11 a.m. phone call, Board of Governors. And the hope among uh, teams and people in the league and the Players Association who want this season to continue, in talking to some of all of those constituencies late tonight, the hope was players would wake up in the morning, some of whom who thought maybe we don't want to play anymore might feel differently about it. Again, the players will go through. And the question that I think a lot of teams, they're asking themselves, it was asked in that meeting, there's players asking it of each other. Mm-hmm. If we don't play, mm-hmm. what is our end goal? What does that mean? What can we accomplish? And then what do we lose from losing the platform of having the season? and of trying to impact change, but then economically, what it costs in the short term for players. And Michelle Roberts of the Players Association was in that meeting tonight explaining to the players again the possibility of the owners of essentially a lockout, which would be the owners terminating the collective bargaining agreement. They have a window of time to do that. Either side could do it. There's no reason the players would do it, but the owners could essentially tear up the CBA and say, This economic model doesn't work anymore. We have no revenue coming in. We don't know if we're going to have fans next year. And if we lose all this money, uh, the bubble was $150 million. And and if we lose out on the rest of this, well, that possibility lingers of instead of amending the CBA for next year, adjusting the salary cap, playing through contingencies of what a season looks like with no fans, if that CBA does get ripped up, it could be many months 
Right. Could be a year before we see the NBA again. All of those things are at stake tonight and into tomorrow. And I was talking to players late into this evening who I was asking, what do you expect to come out of this meeting at 11 o'clock tomorrow? And I feel that genuinely they were answering me with, I don't know. I don't know what to expect going into it. I don't know if I take the tact of this is when everything is on the line. I don't know if I take the tact of this is something that's just further discussions or whether or not this is going to be decision time. This is all something that's still very much coming together for them. And to your point, the question of the money and the CBA and the money in, in, in macro ways, like the league and the future of the league, but also the money in, in micro ways, like my teammate that is to my right or to my left that makes significantly less money than I do. Maybe they're on a rookie contract or a two-way. Am I taking care of them in this moment? And if we do decide to move forward with not playing, what goes in that space? Because the Milwaukee Bucks today, when they decided not to play, they used that two and a half hours. They decided very deliberately to make phone calls to officials in Milwaukee to decide what tangible, actionable items they could ask for in that two and a half hour window. Now you have unlimited time, right? If the league doesn't continue, you have unlimited time and there are cameras literally outside robotic cameras of the locker room that were zooming in on live television to an empty hallway where players were not coming out of. That real-time moment where a game would have been doesn't exist without the structure of games in the season. Malika, what has been your sense on the emotional, psychological toll on many of the players in the bubble in just the events of not not just the last week, but you, you just feel like there there came a, a little bit of a breaking point. It's certainly a pivot point yeah. for the league, but but what's your sense of of how guys are agonized over what's going on in the world? I think guys are frustrated and they're saddened and they're outraged. And I think part of it is because when they look at these videos, a lot of them start talking in these press conferences about their own children. So when they see a black father get shot seven times in the back in front of their children, they can't help but think about their own. So I think that's a part of it. I think part of it is what Marcus Smart so eloquently talked about a few days ago in this idea, and and Jason touched on it, Jason Tatum touched on it a little bit today, of, of survivor's guilt, of feeling like I am a successful, wealthy black man who has the ability in some ways, in some circumstances, to be able to choose to continue to keep living in my 1% world without being directly affected. Now, obviously, there's the statements that Jimmy Butler has made where when I step off the court, I am any black man. Sterling Brown obviously had a incident with the Milwaukee police. So they are not immune to this sort of thing, but they also know that they are afforded a certain privilege and platform and feel an intense responsibility to use it. And on the flip side of that, if and when they don't, or if and when they feel like, like in this case, they're not pushing hard enough, there's an intense sense of guilt that comes with it for these players. 
if you want to see NBA basketball again this season, if you want to see these playoffs restart, I imagine the pathway to that would be the games are postponed again Thursday. Yeah. Now every team who's remaining in the bubble has not played, essentially sat out a game, and maybe there's a little more time, and then we pick back up here over the weekend, and you know Utah's up 3-2 on Denver, and the Lakers are up 3-1 on Portland, and you finish these series. We have the Toronto-Boston series, which is the next one ready to begin. Does it feel to you like, terrible cliche, try to avoid them, but that the genie's out of the bottle, that Mm. there's no going back? Have we crossed a threshold where enough guys have mentally started to put themselves outside of this bubble that they're not coming back? I mean, what... That's what I was grappling with tonight about, can they pull this back tomorrow? Well, I'm going to remember this cliche the next time you text me to tell me not to write one, which you you do so lovingly to make me better. But, I mean, we're teetering on that cliff. It feels like there there is a hope that players will sleep on this that they will come without potentially some of the very warranted emotions that they brought to today's meeting and be able to look at all of these factors in a balanced way and make a decision. But if that can't happen, it certainly feels to me like we could be headed towards a point where basketball right now couldn't go on in so many ways and we called it this before it started this was an experiment Mm. right this was a great experiment and the league was on the receiving end of a lot of praise hey the nba got it right they found the way to play finish the season have their playoffs nobody had tested positive in the bubble you know i guess it's it's been a similar circumstance in hockey they've been able to do it too uh, in multiple bubbles, yeah, right. But you know, as baseball tries to figure out what they're doing, and you're seeing games postponed or canceled because of it. Foot college football is obviously on the brink the way campuses are around the country, and and then the NFL is just getting started. That in the end, as much as anything, it wasn't. If this bubble is to be undone, it was to be undone by what would what was happening outside of it and what had continued to happen in the country and what had given hesitancy of, of many players of coming in about after George Floyd, when mm-hmm. the question was asked, are we doing the right thing by going in and playing? Should we stay outside? And there were, those were legitimate, valid arguments then. They're valid now. Um, but the idea of keeping everybody in here for such a long period of time, there's no question it has taken a toll on people. It is hard to be, and you talk to teams and players and, you know, teams have their, you know, mental health people here. They all knew that was going to be important. Paul George, I give him a lot of credit for what he expressed the other night about what he was feeling, what he went through, because he's not the only one feeling it. And, and you know, all of that has, has brought us here to this point, Malika, where if it doesn't go on, it wasn't because 
they couldn't get the testing right, that in the end, that was only a small part of it. It wasn't the outside pandemic, health pandemic, that would be the undoing of this. It was a plague, a disease that has existed far longer, and that's racism. Listen, I've had more than one player, coach, tell me, you know, we talk about all the other factors that contributed to this, and this is a fact, and this is what guys are talking about. They'd go back to their rooms, and they watched that political convention this week, Mm -hmm. and they saw the rhetoric and how a group of people in this country look at minorities and how they use minorities to scare other Americans, Mm -hmm. and that was absolutely a factor in what happened this week. I mean, guys, they saw it, they were hearing it, like, we've got televisions in the bubble, we've got (laughs) social media in the bubble, we see what is being said, what was going on, what has continued to happen, that was a factor in this. Absolutely, and it can't be overlooked that the Milwaukee Bucks were looking and working to before the convention went virtual to host the democratic national convention and all of this is connected all of it so the owners meeting tomorrow morning at 11 they sent out board of governors got a notice from the league around 7 15 p.m earlier today that they were going to have a call around 11 and you know it's Players will be meeting simultaneously, and in a lot of ways, listen, as one team president has said to me the whole time in here, whenever any issue came up, he would say, listen, the players run the bubble. Mm -hmm. The players run the bubble. They decide how this is going to go. Like, they decide if we keep playing. They decide everything. Yeah. Um, And that's still the case tomorrow, but it'll be interesting to see where the owners are if economically, because it's simply a reality of this, small market teams are concerned, very concerned about with no revenue next year, that means no profit or revenue sharing. That means the Indianas, the Charlottes, the Memphises, they don't get that $20 million annual check that they count on mm-hmm. to operate NBA teams, to have payrolls that can be help them be competitive, to not have to furlough a lot of employees. You're going to see layoffs in the league. You're going to see rosters essentially gutted going into next season if we're going to start next season and that's just part of the reality and I think there's a great deal of empathy for what players are going through what African-American players are going through here but it'll be interesting to see how the owners respond to the players response I mean it just it just it is and if the season does shut down there's a very uncertain path here of how the NBA uh, picks up again. And I do think that was emphasized in the meeting tonight. Mm -hmm. Michelle Roberts has been meeting with teams throughout the head of the player association. She and Ryan Klempner of the union have been down here and they met with all the teams prior to the playoffs or just, and laid out what next season looks like and the calendar and don't expect the season start December one and, and free agency could be pushed back. But, listen, Adam Silver, one of the things about, listen, not every owner in the NBA was enthusiastic about having Black Lives Matter on the court. I know they all weren't. Some are extremely supportive, 
some less so, none of them publicly so, but I do know Adam Silver told them, hey guys, like this is what we're going to do to support our players. Our league is overwhelmingly comprised of African-American players. This is important. This is a partnership. We need to work together to get through this offseason, this, or finish this season into next year. And, you know, it, it's, um, I'll be curious how the relationship and the partnership goes forward because so far what's allowed this thing to work is, especially the Players Association and the league, more than any of the other play, big ones, the football, baseball, they've been able to really come together on stuff. Yep. I, I do wonder if there'll be some splintering off among ownership if this season un, unravels. Do you get the sense, do the owners have, is it tomorrow they have kind of one shot of presenting something correctly? Or do you think that because the players, there's sort of, I expect just based on the different variants of where players are right now and what they want, that there will be a little bit of time before there's necessarily a end-all, be-all decision. Yeah, I don't know if the decision has to be made at 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock tomorrow. I think part of it, too, is the owners in the league, I think they want to hear from the players, is there something tangible we can do? Mm-hmm. You saw the Bucks ownership today who have been extremely supportive on these issues Sterling Brown, they, uh, you've covered the Bucks uh, extensively. I think the organization was really supportive in helping Sterling Brown through that police brutality case. The Bucks were one of the first organizations to turn their arena into a polling yep. place in the election in an important state on the uh, electoral map of Wisconsin. Uh, again, Alex Lazary, the son of Mark Lazary, who's you know very involved in Democratic National Committee. You know, Alex Lazary, who used to work for the Bucks, is now, you know, helped put the Democratic Convention in Milwaukee. That's been an organization, I think, that's been there for their players on these issues. Others, you can go through the league, Atlanta, what they've done there, Steve Coonan and mm-hmm. their ownership. And there's a number of them around the league. Um, but I, I think that's going to be part of it. Like, you tell us. And I think you, you saw this today. I think the Bucks ownership were saying to the players, tell us what you want. Tell us what you need. Like, we'll get on it. Yeah. We have the resources. Let us help you. But we need to know what you're asking for here. And players, because there is so much they want to accomplish, they want to accomplish justice in the broadest strokes. What are the immediate actions that we can do to amount to working towards this broader picture of justice and equality. And that's what players are working to have to answer. And there's a good number of them that are still working to find the answer to that question. Late night, Malika, early morning (laughs) coming, um, all the great shows we have in the morning that I know will be up (laughs) and about. We got Ramona Shelburne putting together, uh, a larger piece of all of our reporting, uh, we've been on the phone with Ramona tonight. We may still be here into uh, the morning, so people can look for that piece on ESPN.com. But great uh, great work today. It was, um, again, a day we won't soon forget, and I have a feeling Thursday will be another one of those. I have that same feeling, my friend. Thanks, Malika. We will see you in the morning. Thanks, Adrian. Okay. 
Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Also be sure to listen to the Low Post with Zach Lowe and Brian Windhurst and the Hoop Collective. We'll catch you again soon from the bubble, I think. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.